Warning, the following presentation is rated R for Reformed. All theological content will be accompanied by the five solas, strong and explicit Calvinistic language, persuasive argumentation, and repeated references to sovereignty. This episode may be dangerous for your Arminian friends and family. You have been warned. Greetings and welcome uh, to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. Uh, today, as you can tell by the intro again, that we are continuing um, our series on TULIP, or as known as the Doctrines of Grace. Today we'll be discussing unconditional election. Uh, for those of you guys that are new to this podcast, uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can also watch these podcasts on YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to our channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Uh, you can just search for Logical Belief and subscribe to our feed there. Uh, both the audio and video can be found at our website uh, at the top menu bar to the right. Just click on Podcast. You can see both the video and the audio there. Um, if you want to send me a message... Or give me a word of encouragement, uh, you can send an email to jason at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can find our Facebook page uh, there from the website and also our Twitter page. And uh, you can communicate with me there. So for those of you guys uh, new to this particular series, uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't watched the first two episodes that you do that before continuing on this one. Uh, the first episode on the Doctrines of Grace, we discussed the sovereignty of God. Uh, the second episode, we discussed uh, total depravity. And in this episode, we will be discussing unconditional election. So, uh, not as prepared today as I was on the previous episode, so we're just going to kind of jump into this, and we're just going to kind of wing it, and uh, we're going to see uh, what happens. But uh, the Bible is full of passages and verses that teach um, us that God has chosen before time began those that he uh, will save and uh, that is the uh, focus of our topic today. And if, uh, if we understand total inability or total depravity, which is what we discussed in the last podcast, then unconditional election is necessary. Because according to the doctrine of total depravity, which the Bible is very clear on, that we are dead in sin, that we are slaves to sin, and that we are unable to please God, and we have no desire to come to God, if that is the true state of man, then unconditional election is necessary. It is the only way that man could possibly be saved, is if God elects him unconditionally. Because there's nothing in man that's meritorious to God. Man has no desire to come to God unless God regenerates him uh, himself. So... Uh, Today, what we're going to do is delve into what does the Bible teach about election. And so, in order to, in order to dump in, jump into this subject, let's, let's first uh, look at a definition that uh, I have um, written here. 
um, on my article entitled, Is Calvinism Biblical? Uh, there is an, there's an article on the website entitled that, and in there I have for the five doctrines of grace, I have a, a definition there uh, for for the purpose of clarity, so that uh, sometimes the acronym TULIP can be a little confusing. Um, uh, total depravity and, like for example, limited atonement, I don't necessarily like that term, I like more particular redemption, but it doesn't fit into the acronym very well. So, Unconditional election, though, however, I do uh, like that term. And this doctrine teaches that God, before the creation of the world, elected some individuals to eternal life and salvation. This election and choosing was not based upon anything within man, but is determined by the kind intention of God's will. So, the Greek term eklektos is one of the words we're going to be focusing on today. And I'll read you several definitions for this word. And uh, Vines describes this as um, literally signifies being picked out or chosen um, is what the word eklektos uh, means also Thayer's Greek lexicon says picked out or chosen um, also um, typically used to obtain salvation through Christ uh, it says uh, Christians are often called the eclectos or the elect um, eclectos is found uh, 22 times in the New Testament and so we'll be going over some of those instances of its usage in the New Testament. <clears throat> so let's just go ahead and jump into uh, this topic here, and we're going to start this off by going to one of the best passages that lays out um, divine election before the foundation of the world for individuals to salvation. And one of the one of the best passages for this is Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 and down to verse 14. So what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to read this passage and then make some comments on it. So beginning at verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, it begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us before him, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which... He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Himself, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Uh, I'm going to actually look up here real quick. I actually just thought of something as I was uh, going through this passage. I'm not actually sure. Most of the time, um, let's look this up just really quickly here. Most of the time in the New Testament, when uh, the term chosen is used, it actually is the Greek word eklektos. So let's actually see here real quick. Let's look this up. I apologize for not having prepared this. Yeah, uh, this uh, the word here in Ephesians chapter two, verse four, is a. Um, uh, eklegomai, which is um, also a derivative of eklektos. It uh, uh, comes from the same uh, etymolo- etymological um, uh, background. It also means to pick out, to choose, to pick, to choose oneself, choosing out of many, Jesus choosing his disciples. So um, <clears throat> eklegomai uh, comes from the same uh, root as eklektos, uh, so that is in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 4. Even as he chose us, eglegomai, us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God has chosen us, elected us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then we also see down in verse 11 where God works everything after the counsel of his own will. Um, we also notice that through this passage that personal pronouns are used constantly. You, um, he has predestined us. He has chosen us in him. We, um, in him, we have redemption. Uh, if you go down to verse 12, uh, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we see that this is all because of God's predestining, because of God's election from eternity past, uh, that we come to him, that we believe, that we... Uh, that we believe the gospel and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, with the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is very consistent with Paul also in Romans 8, verse 30. And this is what we know as the golden chain of redemption. But in Romans 8, verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we see God's 
calling of individuals is based upon his predestination of them. Um, not based upon anything that they have done. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 9, and let's, let's read that passage also. And <clears throat> let's just start, uh, let's see here. Let's start at verse, um, okay, let's start at verse 8 of Romans chapter 9. It says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh. Uh, he was speaking of just a little bit earlier of the children of Abraham, those who are his, um, his offspring of the flesh. So it says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as his offspring. So we are the children of Abraham uh, through the promise that God had given Abraham. We are children of the promise. So we are the children of God for those who have faith and trust in Christ are the children of Abraham and are also the children of the promise. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad. So this is where unconditional election comes in play again. They had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. There we have the word eclectos again, that his purpose in election might continue. They had done nothing good or bad. They hadn't either chosen to believe in God. They hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't even been born. She was told, Rebecca was told that the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau have I hated, which is a quote from uh, the Old Testament. I believe it's in the book of, uh, let me actually look that up. I think it's in, once again, not prepared. Uh, I believe it's in the book of, um, let's take a look here. It's in Malachi. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's in Malachi 1, verse 2 and 3. Um, so, let's jump back here. Uh, where were we? As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So, no, notice that God's purpose with Jacob and Esau was established before uh, they were even born, before they had done anything good or bad. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? So the, the question here that the reader of the text here and probably an objection that Paul has heard many times then, well, then, God, this isn't fair. This is, this is not fair. And so he's responding to that. He goes, is there injustice on God's part? And his answer is, by no means. For he says to Moses, and this is in Exodus, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will compassion, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So if your opinion is, your belief is that our election is dependent upon our will, our fallen will, that as we 
we looked at in the last episode is depraved, is unable, who has no desire to come to God, is a slave to sin, is dead in sin. So if your opinion is is that salvation and election is dependent upon our will, Scripture specifically refutes that. It says here, um, so that it then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I will show my power in you that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. There is no injustice in God. God is the creator. We are the creature. We don't like that distinction. And we uh, fight against that unless God is the one who changes our heart. But we don't have a desire at all in ourselves to be the creature. Uh, we want to place our will outside of the creator's control. Even though Proverbs tells us very clearly um, that uh that man purposes uh, things in his hearts, but it's, it's God who establishes his steps. Um, many are the intentions of man's heart, but it is God who establishes steps. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says that the heart of the king is in the uh, hands of the Lord, and he moves it as a, as a river of water wherever he wills. And so it is God who who uh, is sovereign over our own lives and over our own wills. Um, and so our salvation is not dependent upon our own will. You will say to me then, and this here is once again the objector, Paul is, um, is responding to him, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man? And actually that text starts in the Greek. It starts, O man, who are you to answer back to God? It is responding to the objector stating his creaturely state. You're a man. You are created by God. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump vessels for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, and here's the question, what if God desiring to show his wrath and make his power known de to demonstrate his justice has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So he has patiently endured those that he has created for the purpose of demonstrating his justice in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. So there are vessels that God has created for the purpose of demonstrating his justice, and there are other vessels that God has created for the purpose of demonstrating his mercy. And the interrogative here and the question that Paul is asking is saying, what if God's purpose was from eternity to demonstrate justice and then to demonstrate mercy 
to the vessels uh, to to show the vessels of mercy the mercy that he has demonstrated them by contrasting that with the justice that he demonstrates to those who are vessels of destruction <clears throat> which he prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles so this passage is abundantly clear. Uh, you'll often get that. Uh, I was recently told that um, by someone who objected to this that uh, that this was uh, simply an election to vocation. Um, I've also commonly heard that this is uh, God's electing of nations for particular purposes. <clears throat> it's interesting, though, that if you take Paul in context. And if you look at, like, for example, verse 11, it says, though they were not yet born, speaking of individuals here, um, Jacob and Esau, having done neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So notice that we have God's purpose in election here. And what did Paul just say in just a few verses prior um, in uh, verse 33 of chapter 8. So just a few verses prior, Paul said, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So notice that when God elects, it results in justification. So in just a few verses later, in Romans 9, <clears throat> he says that though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls now this particular election is not about justification um, I it's just it's really just ripping Paul's entire argument apart there there's no consistent flow in Paul's writing here if if this is either about vocation or this is about um, nations. Uh, the, my, the response that I had to the person who uh, said it was about vocation was, my question then was, what does mercy, whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion and hardening have to do with vocation? I, I, I fail to understand that. Um, there is no connection. Uh, this passage is abundantly clear. Um, God does sovereignly and unconditionally elect individuals to salvation. We can also go to... Um, actually, I want to I jump to another passage here before I go on. In Hebrews 9.16 here, so, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. This is the unconditional part of the doctrine of unconditional election. There was nothing done within man that resulted in his election. God did not look forward through time to look to see those who would meet the conditions so that he could elect them unto salvation. It says it depends not on human will or exertion. It also says in John chapter 1, uh, verse 13, it's, it's speaking of the believer who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. So man's will is not the reason and the cause for uh, man's man being born again. Um, we are born from above by an act of God, not by anything that we have done. In John 6.63, Jesus really closes the case on this. It says, he's, he's speaking here once again of God's purpose in calling. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Is just a few verses prior to this. Um, and I will raise him on the last day. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. So in John 6.63, just a little bit further here from when Jesus spoke those words, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the Spirit of God, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So notice once again the affirmation that God's election and God's choosing and God's calling is not based upon anything that we have done. The flesh is no help at all. The scripture is abundantly clear on this particular topic. Um, another passage that I want to go to um, is in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is giving a parable. And it's the parable of the wedding feast. And let's just, uh, well, we'll just read the entire parable so that we can, you know, see it in context here. Uh, you can find this, uh, Matthew chapter 22. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, and while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to the servant, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man that had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then here it says, For many are called, but few are chosen. The term chosen there is eklektos again. So, we see here that he sent out his servants, uh, went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Uh, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Uh, up here a little bit further. Uh, let's see here. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. So in verse 9. So we see the general proclamation of the gospel. Uh, that goes out uh, as many as you can find. Give the gospel to them. But in verse 14 it says, For many are called, but few are elected, but few are chosen. 
So once again, we see that the text um, makes very clear that it is God's purpose that determines his election. We also notice that both good and bad, both those that um, are are very bad people and those who are, in a human sense, good people, God elects unconditionally. There is whether before they had done anything good or bad, this is a correlation to Romans 9, um, that they are chosen, uh, whether they have done good or bad. Um, another uh, set of passages in the Old Testament which really demonstrate that it is God who causes us to come to him and to believe and there is no condition that we meet beforehand, is um, two passages in Ezekiel. Uh, one in chapter 11, beginning at verse 19, um, it says here, and I, will put, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For But it, as for those whose heart goes after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their heads, declares the Lord God. So we see here that before we come to Christ, before we walk in his statutes and keep his rules and obey them, it is an act of God that takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that now desires um, to walk in his statutes and keep God's rules and obey them. And notice it is God who causes this. Ezekiel repeats this in chapter 36, uh, beginning at verse 26. And it says, And I will give you a new heart and put a new, and put a new spirit, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So notice, once again, it is God who causes us to walk in his statutes and in his ways. Uh, this actually reminds me of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, let's just read that. Uh, let's just read, I'm going to read verse 1 all the way down to verse 10. It says, But you who are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind so this is the state of man in depravity this is a text that we looked at last week but then going down to verse 4 here we see God performing his act of regeneration but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he hath loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses the heart of stone in Ezekiel 36 and 11 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the imminent, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Once again, unconditional election. It was not our own doing. It was the gift of God. God gave us the gift of salvation. Philippians 1.29 has been granted to you to believe. Um, uh, 2 Timothy 2.25 um, repentance is granted to us, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. There's no boasting before God. There's there's nobody in heaven going to be standing there before the throne. And uh, Fred, Fred is saved. He's standing before the throne of God. He's praising, and his friend Bob is standing beside him, and he kind of elbows Bob, and he goes, Hey, you, you remember uh, Bob? When, when we heard the gospel and, and Chris was with us, but, you know, we chose to believe. We did that, and Chris didn't, and so we're here. Man, we really made a good choice, didn't we? We, we did a good job. No, there's no boasting before God. We cast our thrones before God. There's no boasting before God at all. It wasn't a choice that we made. It was God who, being rich in mercy, saved us by his grace alone while we were children um, of wrath, by nature children of wrath, who did not desire God, who had no desire within our heart to serve God, to obey his statutes and walk in his, in his ways. We had no purpose and desire in our own heart for that. God had to take out that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And here's... Uh, Going back to Ezekiel where it says he causes us to walk in his statutes and in his ways. In verse 10 here um, of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that even our good works that we are walking in, God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's once again... Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at verse 26. He is the one who has caused us to walk in his statutes and in his ways. Um, some other verses here that I want to, some other texts that I want to look at um, is Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 5. It says, uh, but he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. There's nothing that we have done in righteousness. Uh is the reason for why God saved us. And the question is, is choosing God, is choosing to believe in God, is that a work of righteousness? And the answer to that is, yes, it is. But that's not why God saved us. God saved us because he works all things after the counsel of his will, and he purposes to save whom he will. And that is why we are saved. If you are saved today, if you are a Christian and you are believing and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation... Thank God, praise God that he saved you. Um, it wasn't something that you did. It was something that he did by his own purpose and his own will. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal 
the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He has eclectos you. In 1 uh, Peter 2 verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race, an eclectos race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you might that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <clears throat> I recently had an objector to the doctrines of grace actually tell me that well you just think you're just part of a a special chosen people, and I was like, um, well, that's actually what Scripture says, uh, and I quoted in First Peter two nine. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, in Acts thirteen forty eight, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So notice that they're believing the gospel proclamation of the apostles was because of God having appointed them to eternal life. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. So once again, God saving us, not based upon any action or work that we have done, <clears throat> but because of his own purpose and grace, he has saved us. Um, we also see, uh, Paul, the apostle, when he's writing to the Galatians in verse 15 of chapter one, he says that, <clears throat> but when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, <clears throat> if it's God's purpose <clears throat> to save everyone equally, then why doesn't everyone have a road to Damascus experience like Paul. Did Paul believe in God because of his experience at road to Damascus? If God did not take out Paul's heart of stone and give him a heart of flesh, it doesn't matter what sort of experience that God would have given him. He would have rejected God. He would have waved it off as... Um, as some weird experience, he wasn't sure exactly what happened. But Paul believed in Jesus, and he believed on the road to Damascus because God supernaturally regenerated his heart and gave him an experience by which he, um, with his new heart, he believed and trusted in Christ. So the question I would have, if God... Its purpose is to save everyone. Why doesn't he give everyone a road to Damascus experience? And it's it's a question you have to think about. But here, Paul in Galatians says that he was set apart by God before he was born. And God called him by his own grace. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5, God speaking here to the prophet Jeremiah and telling him that uh, he is appointing him as a prophet. It says in verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So, notice once again, it's God's purpose that establishes the steps of man. It is, um, <clears throat> it is God's purposes that occur um, in time. God had established before Jeremiah had ever existed that he would be a prophet to the nations. In Proverbs 16, uh, verse 4, it says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So notice God has a purpose in everything that he has created. It is his purposes that stand. The heart of man, in verse 9, the heart of man establishes his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then in Proverbs 21, verse 1, I already said this verse before, but the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And another passage that I brought up uh, when we discussed uh, the sovereignty of God, and I think this is just a really important uh, passage for us to to know and to recognize and to understand. In Isaiah 46, verse 9, it says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient time things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. So, we notice that, once again, it is God who's the one who accomplishes everything that he purposes to accomplish. If it was God's purpose to save every single individual who has ever lived, God would save every single individual who ever lived. Because he accomplishes everything that he purposes to accomplish. Um, it has not been God's purpose from all eternity to save every single individual who has ever lived. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 9. There are vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Their purpose is that God may demonstrate his justice. Um, and that is God's prerogative. He is the creator. He can do that. Um, and then at the same time, he demonstrates his mercy towards those who were undeserving, who of their own deserts and desires did not want to come to God, had no desire for God. They rebelled against God of our own will. We, we oppose God. We run away from God. We are children of wrath. We um, defile ourselves. Um, we love rebelling against God's law. And we all do it in different ways. We either do it, uh, some of us do it in, and, and for me in the past before God saved me, I rebelled against God because I was very self-righteous. I, in my pride, said, no, I am good enough in myself to, uh, to be saved, to merit God's um, mercy, to merit God's uh, forgiveness. I in myself am good enough. That is rebellion against God. I was a rebel against God. Just as much as the one who openly um, sinned against God and uh, engaged in all kinds of public debauchery, <laughs> uh, the self-righteous individual is, 
is just as much a sinner and a rebel against God. This is why when Jesus in uh, John uh, chapter 8 really offended the Jews who came to him, he told them that um, they were they needed to be set free, and that offended them. They, they didn't think that they were slaves to anyone. They didn't need to be set free. And Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And so <clears throat> if we truly understand what the Bible says about total depravity and we understand our enslavement to sin, our deadness in sin, then unconditional election is the only way that anyone could possibly be saved. And so we have to thank God and we have to praise God that he does save. Uh, when God could have demonstrate, demonstrated his justice. The question is not, um, why doesn't God save everyone? The question is really, why does God save anyone at all? And that's the way that we need to look at it from a biblical perspective. So that is all I have today on the topic of unconditional election. Um, hopefully that was helpful to you. I apologize for not having been more prepared uh, for this particular episode, but um, hopefully that was helpful for you. For those of you guys that are out studying uh, this topic, I would encourage you to to read your Bible, be a Berean, check out to see what I, if what I say is true. Um, I would encourage you to go to the article that I have on the website, Is Calvinism Biblical?, uh, if you're not familiar with the scriptures and what the Bible says about this topic, go ahead and read the passages um, that I have laid out there, uh, John 6, Romans 9, Romans 8, Ephesians chapter 1, and all the other scriptures that we have on there, um, or just read the entire Bible. Uh, the entire Bible is about God's sovereignty and salvation. Uh, for those of you who understand the system of Arminianism, there's no there's no verse in the Bible that teaches Arminianism. The entire Bible is monergistic. There's no synergism in the Bible at all. Uh, and once again, if you don't know those terms, you need to listen to the previous episodes uh, to see the difference between synergism and monergism. But once again, synergism is, is the belief that there has to be two forces that cooperate in order to bring about salvation. And monergism is that it is one work, it is one force, it is God himself that saves and regenerates sinners, that takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. This is a work of God. In John six twenty nine, Jesus said, it is the work of God that you believe. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, join us next week, and we will discuss the topic of limited atonement or particular redemption thank you have a good week don't you know that the unjust will not inherit god's kingdom and through adam's offense